Hello everyone! Welcome back to my channel, it's Alex. Today I'm going to be doing a book review slash chat about all the great things that I learned about writing and why is this on my finger? <laughs> about writing and creative writing from a book that I finished which is called um, The Art of Fiction, Notes on Craft for Young Writers. This is by John Gardner the Late um, and it was written in the 1980s and it's this thick. And honestly, I don't remember the last time I have read a nonfiction book so quickly, except I did recently read one on the World of War on the World War II, um, which was also very interesting. Um, but yeah, I've, I read that nonfiction and now this nonfiction, and today I'm going to talk about this one because it has some incredible tips. I was so surprised by all that I learned about writing in this book. There's so much. I'm only going to mention like my top favorite things that I remember. Um, but honestly, if you're looking, if you're a young writer and you want to write fiction, I highly recommend picking this up because it has some amazing tips. I learned tons. Okay, let me pull up my phone where I have taken some great notes. Okay, the first thing I learned was that without a theme, a story is just a series of connected events. So like, anyone could just plot out something, an event that happens, and then write about it as a novel. But for it to be like a, a novel in the real sense, it has to have some kind of theme about it. So for example, maybe your theme is um, revenge. So throughout the novel you'll bring up the theme of revenge in various ways, like someone getting revenge on their ex-boyfriend and someone else getting revenge on a thief, you know? So for your story to be a novel, it should have a theme. I can't believe I didn't know that before I read this, but I learned it. Okay, another thing I learned is that there are three ways to plot a novel. Um, three main ways at least that John talks about. The first way that you can plot a novel is to start with an inciting incident and then just follow it to see what logical sequence of events will come after it. So, you know, you start with someone turning on a lamp and then the fuse breaks and you just keep going from there. Another way to plot a novel is to start with the climax and work your way up to it. By the way, I say novel, but the book talks about like short stories and novellas as well. But yes, the other way is to pick your climax, the most exciting piece of action, the, like the key moment that you are going to be building up to in the novel. Like if you have some idea for like a weird argument that people are going to have and that's going to be your climax, start with that and then work your way up to it and then after it. So that's the other way. <clears throat> and the third way is to borrow from a traditional plot, so basically like parody um, another plot that's already in existence, like the Trojan War. You can take that plot and like put a twist on it and put everyone on a cruise ship, you know? Something like that. And actually there is another way that I thought of to plot a novel, which is to have a frame story where there's like a common um, like theme about each uh, scene. So it could be a bunch of different people, but there it shows them all at the same grocery store, you know? maybe on a different day, and how they look at the grocery store differently. So I, that's the fourth way, I guess. Okay, another thing that I thought was very insightful about John was he said not to write about um, real people that you know. Because if you try to do that, then all you'll end up with is like a fake imitation of them. Because you'll be trying to mimic real life, which art does imitate life. But John says it's better to come up with like completely imaginary people in your head. Maybe not completely, because you can like borrow an idea from someone you know and then just like completely change it and add more onto it about a person that you know in real life. But it's best to come up with imaginary people that way you can develop them more fully and they can become your characters. I thought that was very interesting. Alright. Okay, another thing 
that uh, the one thing I loved about this book was that John gave very specific like examples and like so to help you understand a concept. So he'll tell you something like the next point that I noted down, which is that every detail in a description should work together to um, give off the scene's mood and tone and also work in the story's theme. So, for example, one example that John gives is if you're trying to describe um, a scene where a rider has a horse and the horse is going to um, take off on a, at a jolt at one point, and that's going to be the climax where the horse takes off. Leading up to that, you want to um, subtly insert details that hint at the climax. So if your climax is that the horse is going to bolt off, you don't want to start off by randomly describing the sunset or like a squirrel that wanders by. You want to like have every detail be very purposeful and lead up to the climax, um, but not too blatantly. But if you want to talk about how the horse's muscle quivered under your thigh, you know, and that you could, you want to have a sense of urgency and like build up to the climax where the horse is going to jolt off. It all depends on what the scene is trying to accomplish. Okay, next thing. Well, this is kind of similar, which is that details can often be symbolic and have like a double entendre. So maybe you're not just talking about a horse, but it's like a bigger symbol for like religion taking off or something. I don't know. <laughs> That was a reach, but you know. Um, or they can be hinting at the rider's own agitation along with the horses. You know? Details don't have to have just one meaning. Okay, ooh, a very fascinating um, thing that, I, that John said in the book was um, that a novel is like an orchestral performance. <clears throat> don't know what's going on with the but basically, okay, a novel is an orchestral performance. So, like, it starts off with like a lead in and then it all builds up and then there's like this explosive thing at the, where you reach the climax and it's like everything comes together and then the denouement, which is the falling action, as it leads to the re resolution. And the way it's part of an or the way it's like an orchestra is that different pieces build together. So you start with the flute and then you add the violin and then you add the clarinet, you know, and then at the end, maybe sometimes like the clarinet will then um, stop playing for a little bit and the other ones will come in and each instrument is like a different scene and the scenes build up together and what was really fascinating and a completely new concept that is um, related to this orchestra thing that John talks about is how scenes echo one another so for example you start with scene A, right? say we meet a character um, in a hospital and that's scene A and the next time we see that character uh, even if we see them this time at a grocery store in, our back, in the back of our minds, in our subconscious, we'll have connected them with a hospital and everything that a hospital represents and where we saw them last. So even if your character um, shows up in a completely different place, there's still that echo of where we first met them. Because, um, you know, your reader doesn't forget. It all comes together. And for that reason, scenes will echo off one another. So, for example, if you start off with scene A and then you go to scene B, um, scene B will echo of scene A. And then, if, then you go to scene C um, and scene D, and scene D will echo of scene C, which will echo of scene B, which will echo of scene A. So, you know, it all comes together. And if you do it really well, then you can um, bring back scene A and scene B, like, if you're talking about setting. If you start at a hospital, you can come back to a hospital a bit later in the book, and that will um, harken back to a different scene, because it will remind them, it will remind the reader of... Uh, the scene surrounding that scene. I think I'm going a bit too <laughs> long-winded with this, 
the point is, um, if you bring back certain elements of from chapter one and chapter three, and like it, a novel can have several different themes or like reoccurring um, images in them. So if you place them in, per in the correct spots, then at the end, when it comes to your like denouement, uh, it can feel like an orchestral finale because the scenes will be like the it'll be like the last closing scenes, but then you can bring back small symbols or recurring things that happen in scene D, scene B, and then you can connect them all together by seamlessly weaving them into the story. So at the very end, it feels like it's all coming together. So that's, if you ever read a book where it feels like it's a very satisfying ending, it's probably because the author um, inserted key recurring images or recurring settings, recurring themes, very subtly throughout the book, and then um, connected them all together at the end. So that was fascinating. I love that so much. Okay, another thing that John talks about is a section on like common mistakes that beginner writers make, and one of them is... Um, that they use when a lot, so like, when there was a huge thunderstorm, Alex went outside, you know? Uh, so you want to try to avoid the when, because I'm not sure why, but I, it, I guess it gives like a less sense of an urgency. But of course with every rule it's not um, total, like, some, every, some author will come along and completely dismantle the rule and it'll still work beautifully, so these are just general tips. Another thing you want to avoid is verbs that end in ing, because again, that loses the sense of urgency if I say, like, I was running, whereas I ran. I ran sounds a lot more urgent and present. Okay, another thing John has said that really helped me feel better was that plotting takes a long time, and that you'll, like, you'll come up with a premise, an idea for your story, but then you'll think about it for, like, days and maybe longer on end, just, like, rewriting it, thinking about what could happen, what else could happen, what if we did this, and it can take a long time. You know, a whole story is not born overnight. Maybe you get a great story idea, but that's just the very beginning of it because then you have to plot out the whole thing. Unless, of course, you're a panster, which means you don't want to outline, you just want to um, write as you feel, which I like to do that as well. Okay, another thing is that the placement of punctuation makes the hugest difference. If you put a comma somewhere, it will slow the reader down. Um, if you put a period, it will slow them even more down. Um, so if you want to give off a particular effect, then you can have a really long sentence. Um, and also, the placement of words makes a huge difference. For example, if you... Oh, is that a timer? Oh. I said a timer. <laughs> uh, okay. The placement of words. So for example, if you want to reveal that there's a gun in the room, uh, you don't have... You don't... You, instead of saying, the gun was on the table, you can say, on the table was a gun. So you know what I mean? There's more emphasis on um, the gun because it's the very last thing in the sentence. That's a very basic example, but you know. Okay. Um, yes, all these things are very important because you don't want to randomly change the pacing of a scene if it doesn't fit. So if you're having, for example, a scene where, um, you know, you don't want to change the tone just randomly. If you're having this consistent tone throughout a certain scene, and then suddenly you start um, sounding completely different, and like your word sentences, like a certain sentence seems to fall totally out of place in terms of like how the reader would read it out loud or in their head. If it falls totally out of place with other sentences, then it can seem, it can like wake the reader up and make them confused and make them lose, it can make them lose the 
um, the whole sense of emotion that they're getting as they're reading the scene, because the sentence will stand out too much, and they'll lose the feeling. Okay. Another thing with that is you don't want to make your writer or your reader be forced to read the sentence twice to figure out its meaning. So you can like change around the word order, but you don't want to make it too complex that your reader has to reread things. Because um, John talks about this great insight, which is that reading is like a dream. When you're reading, the words disappear and you see this um, image in your head. And so um, you don't ever want your reader to break that image. You know, you don't want them to wake up from this dream. You want them to keep going and be immersed. Because if you do something, like, if, if you do something to wake them up, then that will break their experience. And you don't want to do that. Unless, of course, you're writing metafiction, which is like a fiction inside of a book where you tell a story, but then you're also analyzing the story at times, which sounds very fascinating as well. Okay. So, yes. First, you want... Oh, a very important thing is to figure out your genre. Because, oh, he had this great metaphor, John did, about um, why genre is so important. It's like, um, it, oh, it's like writing a song. Say you're going to write a song. Um, you don't just start writing it. First you figure out your music genre, right? Because the same plot or the same idea for a song will be completely different if you're writing a pop song or a country song or a hip-hop song or a rap song. You know, it'll be totally different depending on the genre. So the same thing for your story. You should want to try to figure out your genre. If you can, of course. Sometimes your genre completely changes after you've written it. I don't know. Okay, um, so yes, first you figure out the genre, the premise, which is the first idea that you get, and then the theme. A theme that you want to carry on throughout the book. Maybe even multiple, if it's like a, an, an intense novel. And then you want to plot out the novel. Um, that, that was some words of advice from John. Again, if you, um, if you are a panster, then you won't want to plot that much. Okay, ooh, another fascinating thing John said was that, okay, he explained how to write a good description. So every sentence has a subject, a verb, and um, a subject, a predicate, i.e. the verb, and then an object. So for example, I bought an apple, okay? So I bought an apple, I is a subject, bought is the predicate, Apple is the object. When you're describing something, you want to load the description onto one of those three things. So I can either load the description onto I, so like I, exhausted and dragging my feet, bought an apple. Or you want to load it onto the bot. I hesitantly, <laughs> these are a lot of adverbs and people say to avoid adverbs, but it's just an example. I hesitantly and checking all the prices, bought an apple. Or you want to load it onto the object. I bought an apple which was gross and slangy with worms. <laughs> Although, another common beginner mistake is to use the words which and that too much, so you maybe want to avoid that as well. <laughs> but the point is, you want to load onto one of the things, one of the three, because that will make sure that you're not loading a sentence on too much. And now, if you want to add more and have a longer sentence to get some sort of effect, you can load onto two of those things. So, I can load description onto the subject and the predicate, and then just leave the apple alone. You get the idea? You can even describe all three if you want, but it has to be for a particular effect, because if you load too much on, um, then you'll sort of lose the effect. So yes, I thought that was fascinating. Okay. Ooh, another thing that would wake your reader up is to have an internal rhyme in your sentence. So you want to avoid that, and John gives some tips about how to avoid that as well. Because there's different ways depending on what kind of rhyme it is. And honestly, the way John's examples were, like you could literally go on, you could literally look at one sentence and rewrite it and rewrite it in different ways. And honestly, it, it sounded exhausting, like all the amount of editing that you can possibly do. Because 
you can rewrite one sentence in a different way and it can change the whole entire tone of the whole scene and the whole novel and yeah. Okay, another thing John talked about was shifts in psychic distance. This was fascinating and I can't believe I never knew about this before, I swear. <laughs> I think I know so much, I don't know anything. Okay, so shifts in psychic distance. This is where um, you start, th this refers to like different um, closenesses we have to a character. So if we say like, a man walked down the street um, on a dark night. That's a pretty far distance because, you know, we don't even know the person's name. We're kind of away from them. We're watching them walk down a street. Whereas if we say, um, the hot air um, blew into my face as I walked down the street, then it's much more closer to the reader, you know, or closer to the character because you're really, you're inside the character rather than watching them. So these distances, psychic distances, must be controlled and you have to learn how to manipulate them very well um, so that you don't randomly change them. If you're like immersed in a character and then suddenly you look at them from the side, that would totally make no sense to the reader. Okay, and these psychic shifts are very um, useful if you're having like um, a third person omniscient point of view where you have multiple characters because you can immerse yourself into one character and then shift out a bit and then shift into another character and then shift out and stuff like that. And a really great writer knows how to um, manipulate these distances very well. I guess it takes practice, but yes, that was a fascinating concept. Okay, another common beginner mistake, like I said, these tips are all over the place, but another common beginner mistake is to say things like she thought instead of just saying what the character thinks, or she felt instead of just saying what the character is feeling. Okay, oh, and the, the book actually made me want to um, start to learn Latin to expand my vocabulary, because John mentions that this is useful, because, you know, English is heavily rooted in Latin. Um, and, yeah, actually, you want, it made me really want to learn Latin a bit to, like, I don't know, learn more about English. Okay. Ooh, another thing that John introduced in the book, to me at least, was the Fixies Curve. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but basically it shows um, the plot outline of a story. So it'll have A at the bottom, because it's like a triangle, and then it will have um, B leading up to the climax, and then C as the denouement. And um, A at the bottom is what a character would normally do if they were if it were like a totally boring story, but then the B is the inclination which goes in like a series of increasing climaxes. So there'll be one climax and then a bigger one and then a, the biggest one and then the denouement. And those climaxes are what are show what the character actually does in the story rather than like the normal totally ordinary thing that would lead to the ending. Instead it shows this way. So yes, you can look it up, it's like a diagram, it's very um, fascinating and useful, this concept of series of increasing climaxes. And actually it, it is also quite useful to think about what a character would normally do um, if there were no interesting story at all versus what actually happens. Because if you know what they would normally do, then it might help you figure out ways to sort of go off of that normal boring straight line and make it more interesting with these climaxes. Alrighty, um, so that's pretty much everything. Also John included some exercises and examples from literature and specific examples um, and writing prompts, which I really appreciated, so it was great. It was very good at giving you specific examples rather than just vague sentences. So this was great. I did not expect to learn this much from that book. Um, very much opened my eyes. Highly recommend checking it out. There's so much more that John goes into. Um, so let me know if you learned anything interesting from this video, if you're going to take anything away. If you have any other tips for us or any other book recommendations, don't forget to subscribe and share my video with anybody. And I'll see you next time, everyone. Bye!